to yet another episode of Behind the Rainbow. You guys, I know I say I'm excited about each episode and each guest, but legitimately, I think we've been building to this moment and to this episode since I began Behind the Rainbow because it's about dating and specifically dating apps, which I talk about my love and hate on each episode with every guest. So I was like, you know what? We need to get to the direct source of this for the good and the worst that has happened to this world. So I have brought on the founder of the Jewish dating app, JSwipe, David Yaris, to talk to us about his insight about how he started JSwipe and what his thoughts are about dating apps and how it's affected the world. And we talk about ghosting and his thoughts about that. Interestingly enough, it's not what you think. Let me do a little backtrack for those of you guys who are new to following me. Welcome. My name is Elaine Chaya. You can follow me on Instagram at E-L-A-I-N-E-C-H-A-Y-A. As I always say, please don't forget to subscribe and follow my podcast so you can find out about when the latest episodes come out before I post about them. And make sure you leave me a rating and review. That's super important. I'm going to put David's Instagram and the JSwipe link all in the show notes so that you can download JSwipe after this if you're not on it. You have to be Jewish, but it's okay. If you're not Jewish, pass this along to your Jewish friends. More matches, the merrier, right? What I love about this episode is that we get to talk about dating and hear it from the perspective of someone behind one of the biggest dating apps in the world. You also get to know a little bit more about David personally, which hopefully is something new that he hasn't done on any other interviews because I like to be super exclusive here. Take some screenshots of this and send me your DMs and thoughts about this show. I love to hear your feedback. I respond to everyone that reaches out to me and make sure you share this episode with the world because the more times that we share these topics and all episodes, the more the messages will spread. Oh yeah, make sure you go listen back to the other episodes if you're new to listening. Love you guys. So I'm here with David from JSwipe. So I do a little monologue about my guests on each episode of why I've chosen them. And they're usually pretty long, but yours is pretty short because it's clear and straight to the point. I do a lot of dating podcast episodes. And even when I'm not talking about dating, I bring up dating and I bring up dating apps. So I'm like, I need to get to the source of the dating app people here. And of course, out of all the dating apps, I need to do the Jewish dating app because amongst the Jews, you are like the superhero. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but but you know you have to have three matches in order to be guaranteed a spot in heaven. So I think you're going to have like your own palace at this point. It's funny you say that. First of all, thank you for having me. But based on that thought process, I've asked my dad a couple of times. I'm like, dad, like, can I just like totally screw around now and do whatever? Technically, theoretically, we're good. Can we just like live a life of silliness? And thought process is no. <laughs> Stay focused on purpose, passion, and impact. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll do it. Fine. I guess I like your dad, even though I like your mentality too. I'd be like on retirement mode already if I was you. So I know you've done a million interviews probably at this point. So I'm trying to spice it up and give you some good questions, but we're going to go through the basics for anyone who hasn't heard your story or doesn't know about you, which I'm pretty sure at least all the Jews know about you. Tell me about your upbringing. What did you study in school and all that kind of fun stuff? So my name is David Yaris. I grew up in Miami Beach, Florida, a little Jewish community there. I went to Jewish day school, did all the Jewish things. In around, I guess it might have been sophomore year, I went to visit my cousin in D.C. And I went to visit the prep school that he went to one day before his bar mitzvah. And long story short, that weekend, I went to a school dance, which we didn't have in Jewish day school in Miami. I kissed this girl and I was like, wow, D.C. is amazing. I have to go. I have to move there. And so when I was, I guess, 15, I applied without telling my 
parents to Episcopalian prep school called St. Albans, the National Cathedral School for Boys in Washington, D.C. Got in pretty miraculously, probably because I'm Jewish, and ended up going to school in D.C. for junior and senior year, which was probably the most intense culture shock, life shock, education shock, the most type of intense across the board change that I could have ever, ever, ever expected or definitely didn't expect to the extent that it was. So I was there for two years in D.C., loved D.C., and then I went to Babson College in Boston. It's a little school specifically for entrepreneurship just outside of Boston in Wellesley, Mass. Everyone there studies entrepreneurship, so I studied entrepreneurship with a focus on marketing. And then I moved to New York City in 2010 for a dream job at the time and to meet a nice Jewish girl, and that's where the whole story starts. How did you come up with J-Swipe and doing this dating app? The first thing I would say is any Jewish person on Tinder thought of J-Swipe. I just did it. We just took action and made it happen. Basically, I moved to New York City for this job and to meet a nice Jewish girl. I moved to the Upper West Side because I was told that that's where they all live. And I did all of the things for a couple of years to try and meet someone. I went to all the Shabbats and I was on the synagogue circuit there. Believe it or not, it's a thing. It's like a scene. You go here on Fridays, you go here on Saturdays. It's fascinating. I think of it almost as like spring break meets Jewish, meets singles. It's interesting. But basically, it was just so shockingly at times awkward or socially uncomfortable in this attempt to meet someone, which was rare or unusual for me because that wasn't really the case of most any other experience or community or connection in life for me. Felt pretty good. And then the attempt to find and meet someone Jewish in where I was living in New York City just felt really funny. Meaning people would all be at these events theoretically with the intention to meet someone, but no one's really being present with you as you're talking to them. They're like, everyone's checking everyone else out. It just felt so icky. And around that time is when Tinder came out, started by two Persian Jews out of LA or Cali. It disrupted an entire industry and not just industry, it disrupted humanity or the way that we connect or the way that we think about connection and how we use technology, yada, 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 all those things. And it really did pretty incredible things. And still within that, if marrying someone Jewish was important to you, it was still not really the most efficient or most effective way of going about it. Because you wouldn't know, there aren't really filters, you're connected with anyone and everyone in your community or, you know, in your city. And either you have to use, hey, are you Jewish as an opening line, which is not the sexiest or ideal opening line, or you don't ask, and then you chat, 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 maybe get to a date. And if it is important to you, or if it's a deal breaker for you, then you're not really being responsible or respectful for either party's time. Or you don't ask, and maybe it's kind of important to you, but not a deal breaker. And then you end up getting distracted into something that might not be the ultimate dream for you, but also is pretty nice. And because of all of those reasons, it was pretty clear to me really early on that this needed to exist for people who are interested in finding and meeting someone Jewish. So we set out and launched in Passover 2014. And the rest is history. How did you go about the marketing for it and making it cool? Because I remember when J-Swipe came out, it reminded me of J-Date that was old and dated and I didn't want to be on that. So I don't want to be on a Jewish dating app. How did you make it something that people wanted to do? First of all, I'd say my background is marketing and what I spend most of my time thinking about and doing is marketing and run a small marketing agency in New York City called Millennial based in Brooklyn. And so we used all of our expertise in social media, targeted advertising, word of mouth, all of these things to let's call it normalize the brand. And what we thought of early on was we didn't really think we had any direct competition because all the other apps that were mass market apps for anyone or everyone are great. But if you really actually care about specifically finding someone Jewish, they don't fully work for you. And the other Jewish things that were out there at the time weren't kind of like what you're suggesting weren't really resonating or relevant to our generation. So our competition was actually, as we consider the stigma of app dating, not another app or site. It was how do we normalize the fact that we use technology to streamline everything in our lives. We use Uber to get anywhere, Airbnb to live anywhere, seamless to eat anything. Technology is making all of our lives easier. So too, should we use it to make our 
arguably one of the most important areas of life, love, partnership, etc., more efficient, effective, and comfortable for us. That was really what we set out to do. And I think most important thing is that we didn't really have anyone to report to. We were just a couple of buds out of a factory and this like, you weren't supposed to live there. You weren't supposed to work there. Somehow we both lived and worked out of this barbed wire oil transit factory in Williamsburg, which was so epic, by the way. We didn't have a board of Jewish directors or Jewish adults or donors to make sure we weren't saying the wrong thing. We would say whatever we felt like saying. And that was, I think, very important and very rare in the Jewish world, meaning most people have to play within the lines. And that's either being a particular level of conservative or do's and don'ts. But because for us, this was really targeting other people like ourselves, young, modern millennials who are Jewish and single and Jewish, but still, you know, out in the world. It was important to us that it never came off as something that was too, too Jewish. It was all about a tip of the hat and a wink and a nod to our peers around the world that we're right there in the same boat with you. We're also kind of questioning and also kind of frustrated and also Jewish and also figuring it out. This isn't an agenda driven thing. This is a, hey, let's see if this could work type of thing. And so to do that, we would say things that people would never, ever, ever say Jewishly. We would make jokes. We would almost always cross the line just to really flex the fact that we're right there with you. I think that all together with some pretty tightly designed and executed social media, targeted ads, etc. And then eventually events combined with right place, right time, right execution, great team, lots of hustle, lots of miracle, lots of blessing and some stars aligning. I think it was at the perfect time because I think it was just when dating apps were starting and there was no Jewish dating app. I know Tinder talks about how they went to college campuses and doing on the ground marketing when they started. Did you go to like synagogues or anything like that and do on the ground marketing? No, for us, it was fully, fully social. And then eventually we did events and events were interesting for us because most Jewish singles events that I've been to back in the day were always a little bit too, a lot of it pretty lame. I don't think it's because I'm biased. I really think I'm objective on this one. Somehow our parties were just really fun, a great vibe, basically helped to normalize the experience. People on the app would bring their friends who might not have been on the app. You'd look around and you'd be like, oh, okay, got some interesting talent going on. Like this is actually kind of cool. And then that would open up a new market or a new city or a new community for us. So we did some on the ground, but it wasn't through synagogue. In fact, the first person to report about three months in getting engaged on JSwipe, we were very excited, of course, and it was a rabbi. And we were really excited, but we actually didn't announce it because specifically we didn't want people to think, oh, JSwipe, where only rabbis swipe. It was always important to us to be a really open, universal, connected, modern Jewish brand. I'm sure you've gotten so many cool stories about people matching and getting married. What's maybe the coolest story you've heard? First of all, they're all beautiful and I really love all of them. So I don't want to say any one is more exciting than the other. But my favorite things are things that never could or would have otherwise happened without technology, like without the total random off chance that based on this and that and this and that outliers, somehow they both use JSwipe and then somehow connected. And what I mean by that is, let's say you live in New York City and you live in the Upper East Side and you meet someone and end up like dating someone on JSwipe who's from Chelsea. That's cool and it's super exciting and maybe you wouldn't have met, but it's conceivable that if you're in the city, even with 8 million or some odd people, it's possible you would have crossed paths at something versus the guy from Tel Aviv and the girl from Australia both happened to be swiping globally, connected, chatted, started Skyping, someone visited the other and then wound up fast forward married. That always blows my mind. That's so crazy to me. 
you said you guys launched this Passover 2014. So it's five and a half, almost six years later, and dating apps have become the normal standard of ways people date. And everyone has their opinion. Either they love them or hate them or love and hate them. Some people say that dating apps have ruined the dating scene. What is your take on all of that? Obviously, you think it's great. It is great. It's matched a lot of people. But do you think it has affected the way people date? I think that like anything, there's pros and cons. There's benefits and there's drawbacks. Let's first zoom out and talk about Instagram or social media. Is social media good? I don't think it's good or bad. I think social media is amazing because it allows you to connect with people, keep in touch and share and experience people's lives from who you'd otherwise totally have lost touch with years ago. So there's beauty in it. And at the same time, people are by science lonelier than they've ever been. They feel more disconnected than they've ever been. And a good amount of that is a product of social media. So like anything, there's pros and cons, but it would be totally, I think, untrue to say that dating apps have only brought good. I think they for sure have changed hundreds of thousands, maybe more of people's lives who are now married or in love. And it's brought a lot of good for sure. It's also solved, let's call it a option or a prospect possible date issue, which is I lived in the Upper West Side for a few years, really looking for someone that I was really excited about. Maybe over three years, there was like three to five people who I was excited about going on a date with and maybe went on a date with like three. And now through dating apps in general, you could be in your pajamas, watching Netflix, eating French fries or ice cream. And from the comfort of your home, connect with, swipe with, match with anyone eligible in your city, in the world. It solved a possible date issue that at least I personally had many people experienced in the past. But it's caused a much maybe larger or at the very least much more subconscious issue, which is the paradox of choice. The idea that now everyone has so many options that it makes it scientifically again proven much more challenging to choose. And one is much more likely based on the paradox of choice theory to regret a choice after you've chosen it, it's basically making people more and more confused about what they're actually looking for committing versus the curiosity of what's right around the corner, the unknown versus the known that amplified by social media and pop culture narratives. Like if you're really into someone, you shouldn't present as you're that into them. You should kind of lean out a little bit, a little bit low key. All these things that are keeping us, I think, actually out of the love that we're looking for rather than pushing us into it. I think dating today is maybe one of the most confusing, complex, complicated, also frustrating experiences, period, for sure than dating over the last long time. And that's tricky. But do I think it's because of or only the results of dating apps? No. Do I think dating apps are inherently good or bad? I think both. And ultimately, similar to social media, it's about moderation, self-control, discipline, and thoughtfulness. We have a ways to go until people are empowered with the awareness of the challenges and the etiquette of how to really responsibly and respectfully interact and engage. But I do think that it's unlocked a universal shift in possibility of finding your person, whoever that may be. And where do you see the future of dating and dating apps based off of all of your knowledge and work that you're doing in it? I went to last year, the year before these dating industry conferences. There's a lot of conversation around video and speed dating through video, kind of like HQ for dating or FaceTime or even some, believe it or not, talk about VR so you could actually go on a date. I think all of that is nice, but way, way, way too sci-fi for what actually is likely to happen in the near future, maybe even in the long-term future. For me, I hope what happens next are dating apps that help you date. Right now, everything, all apps help you get more dates. They're all about more options, more swipes, more possibility. And like we just discussed, that's confusing a lot of people. But really, there are very few, if any, tools and apps that really help you date, deepen, and get vulnerable, and ask the questions, and whatever it may be, that ultimately 
really pushes you into the love that you're looking for. So I think the future is, you know, a la Hinge and what their whole ethos is about intentionality and thoughtfulness. That's where I hope and really believe the industry needs to go. How do you guys stay relevant and compete with these other dating apps? Because as you said, you guys were the first Jewish filter dating app, but now all these other apps do have filters where you can put Jewish. So how do you stay afloat and have people come to JSwipe and use you guys? I think it's a really interesting question. The first thing I'd say is the way that we've always looked at it is dating and dating apps. It's not like a one sum game, meaning someone's not only using one app, the average user uses maybe two to three other apps. And so it typically tends to be that will be one of the few apps that they're using. We're happy with that. I think ultimately we're for people finding love, you know, wherever it may be. How do we stay relevant? I'd say it's by community partnerships, events, offline experiences, bringing our community together offline and connecting the dots where we can, engaging in ways or things like holidays and cultural happenings that are specifically distinctly Jewish where no other apps would really, I guess, be comfortable or authentically be relevant at attending. So it's through community connection and sort of cultural relevance. I want to get a little more into David. So we know David a little more. So you started this app because you were looking for love in New York and it was hard for you to find. Have you used JSwipe for yourself to find dates? Uh, So the first thing I'd say is it's primarily the way that I use it in the Scrum. My team, Steph, uses it is let's call it the community managers. As someone signs up, you get a message from one of us that says, hey, welcome to JSwipe. We'd love to hear your story. If you have any ideas, or know anyone who has a success story. We'd love to hear from them, yada, 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 that type of thing. So the majority of my experience is responding to messages, connecting with the community, et cetera. And generally try to actually not really use it personally in the interest of not mixing business with pleasure. But of course, have I in the past met someone from JSwipe? For sure. Have I gone on dates from JSwipe? Also for sure. But for me, it's a little bit of a different experience. So I try to be extra, extra, extra thoughtful, intentional, and careful of the lines that I think are important to establish. How has your life changed becoming the founder of JSWEP? I'm sure people stop you on the streets, know who you are in terms of professional relationships, personal relationships. Is it harder for you today? Easier? Oh, it's so funny. I mean, I think my life has changed in a lot of ways as a result of this whole thing happening. First of all, this was like pretty thoroughly unexpected. It wasn't for sure my plan in college to end up in the dating industry. No way. Like would have never, ever, ever imagined really until even after we launched to think it would grow and be a adopted and used and engaged in the way that it has been. So continues to be exciting, interesting, new and unexpected every day. The first way I'd say that I guess my life has changed was I never also thought I would be in the Jewish community work for sure. I'm Jewish. It's always been a thing for me, but never the thing for me. But based on JSwipe, I ended up getting really, really deeply active within the broader Jewish world is almost like an unofficial spokesperson for the millennial or the modern Jewish experience for our peers, which also obviously is not represented of every experience and view and lived experience for our generation, but it propelled me really deep into the Jewish world. And I would say that really got me clear on what's real for our generation, how we live, value, experience, connect with ourselves, with one another, with the spirituality or religion. And it also got me very, very clear on what I call big Jewish, the Jewish organizations and Jewish foundations and federations, like the infrastructure of the Jewish world globally. Definitely also think that I have a lot of thoughts 
thoughts and have given a lot of thought to dating, the challenges today, the drawbacks and the strategies or the pro tips, all of those things. Again, I would have never expected to be thinking as much about all of this as I have. And if anything, I'll finish that piece by just sharing that one of my most passionate topics right now that I'm get really alive and activated about is ghosting. I think that we are in a epidemic of disrespect, but mostly unintentionally and almost unconsciously or subconsciously. I think people are getting hurt and hurting people right and left, but I don't think they even realize that they are hurting people. That stems from a lack of established norms and etiquette in modern or digital dating. I remember when I was little, I picked up a book off the Brooks Brothers counter that was how to be a gentleman. It told you all these things about where the fork goes on a table placement, all these rules. And it was fascinating and ridiculous, but fascinating. And that type of established, understood, almost unspoken understanding and etiquette doesn't exist in this newly rapidly evolving world of sliding into the DMs and read receipts. And do you message first who asks out who pays? Is that even a sexist thing to say by saying who pays? This whole new world of modern dating is so tricky and sort of still being figured out that I think it results in people getting hurt and hurting without knowing that they're hurting someone. I think with dating apps, right, when you match with someone, they're not like a real person at first, right? They're just someone on your phone until maybe you meet them. So I don't know about you, but I feel like with ghosting, it's become this way of, oh, you know, I can meet someone else. They're not a real person. Even so, if you meet someone in real life and go on a date and you experience ghosting afterwards, do you think it's kind of that mentality that's now kind of been instilled through dating apps? Not to say that it's because of dating apps. Aziz Ansari in his book, I think it's called Modern Love, writes about this concept of people are now just little square faces in your pocket or something like where now, again, kind of exactly what you're saying, because there's just a list of all these people you've matched with and at varying level of the same exact conversation with all of them, most of them you haven't met yet. So the thoughtfulness or the feeling of respect at a subconscious level or at a conscious level doesn't come up as it would for a friend, a family member, for a colleague, a neighbor, someone you know in person. So for sure, I think that that's definitely a piece of it. But I also think it's not just because of the fact that you haven't met them yet. I think it's because there really aren't rules, protocol, established norms for these things. We had a conversation at a Shabbat dinner that I was hosting with some friends a couple weeks back about ghosting because it's been on my mind a lot recently. And my friend Annika, she has in her memos on her phone, the non-ghosting copy paste, which is, you know, you went on a date, it was fine. You don't want to go on another date with that person. I think what happens is that people feel bad or feel that they don't want to hurt someone or let someone down by saying, hey, thanks, but no thanks. They feel like it's going to hurt someone more to tell them that. And therefore, to avoid hurting them, they just ghost or slow fade or whatever these various things are that people do. When in fact, I know that for sure, I've been on the other side of that where I've been so excited about someone and I'm like that eternal optimist where I'm so excited and hopeful that even in the ghosting, I'm still like, well, you know, maybe they're just uh, busy. And that takes up space. You're basically holding on to space in someone's life and someone's hopefulness and someone's mind or heart or whatever that would be so much more, I think, respectful, empowering, nice to actually set them free by giving them clarity that it's not a possibility, right? Or else someone who's hopeful or someone who's excited might continue holding on to that hope and excitement. And then therefore someone else might cross their path and they might actually be someone that's really cool for them or really good for them, but they're still caught up on this unsolved mystery. If you don't want to go on a date with someone that you went on a date with, please, for their sake, you're actually doing the right and nice thing by freeing them by actually communicating with them your truth.
Thank you for saying this, David. Everyone listen to David. It's funny because I have messaged guys that I've gone on dates with that I'm just not interested. And I'll say something like, you know what? To be honest, I don't think we were a match, but it was so nice meeting you. Thank you. It's not something anyone wants to hear if they're interested, but literally every time I've said that, people are like, thank you for your honesty. Have a good day. It's shocking because they're not used to that, you know? I can't even tell you. It really, really kills people and me when you're stuck in the unknown and in the hopefulness. But the one thing I'd say is where this conversation at Shabbat dinner went to was we then went to basically writing or sharing the best response. I think interesting things to think about as it relates to speaking our truth and speaking in integrity are my friend said two things in hers and it was a really great one that was copy pasted and then we workshopped it but it was something like hey there I had a good time but thanks for whatever so you know it feels like we just don't have that vibe or something like that like it feels even kind of like yours like we just aren't a match. I would love to you know be friends and the two flags on the play were a the what I call presumption of someone else's feelings for me let's say this was a scenario where we went on a date I was super excited you were not feeling it and then you sent me that message and it was like hey it feels like we just aren't a fit I'd rather someone own their side of that own their disinterest because I'm sitting here being like oh heck yeah this is great and then someone else saying that it's not it just eh, I was feeling it they weren't I'd rather be like hey so I didn't get the romantic vibe or someone just owns whatever it is for them or their side of it but not the presumption or implication of the mutual disconnect or not feeling itness that's one and then the other of course is like at the end of it the yes let's be friends only say it if you mean it if you don't mean it then don't say it you could say like see you around or whatever it is you can even just say thanks for the drink or it was great meeting you but don't say the friend thing unless you actually want a new friend do you think for you because i mean i'm a blogger i have a following and i get the comment a lot of times that it's intimidating who i am and all that stuff you being one of the founders of a dating app i don't know if you are dating anyone right now but do you find it hard generally for you to date do you feel like it's more intimidating for girls or do you feel like there hasn't really been a difference personally i don't really see myself as intimidating if anything i think almost particularly not intimidating but (laughs) what i think is harder and maybe this is just you know what i tell myself i can't do small talk i can't have the same conversation again and again and again hey how are you good good how you doing where are you from what do you do what you're telling me about your family da 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 i literally can't i'm gonna go crazy with i have that conversation again i like to almost jump right in intense questions for example what is a dream of yours what's a fear of yours what are you passionate about what's your superpower what's your biggest fear things that probably people are a little uncomfortable thinking about even on their own and don't ask themselves often that's where you actually get into some realness to some depth or get to actually learn more about who someone is behind who they're trying to present oftentimes people are on a date presenting not really who they are but who they are doctored up with who they think the other person would want them to be instead of just going real right for it so I try to like just front load a bunch of you know obviously in conversation and so it isn't just me like grilling someone and I think that might be more intimidating than whatever it is that I spend my time doing or thinking about and what kind of girl are you looking for do you have some ideal traits or qualities I'll tell you some of the most important things I think one of them is something that I only recently realized was a very very critically important trait something that I call empowered authorship which to me means the understanding of the idea and belief that we create everything in our lives and we have the ability to design anything of our life and live into our dream and make it happen, that power is within us. That either we are the creator of our lives, pretty much our world, or we are the victim or the circumstance of everything that's happening external to us. And so I think the most important thing, or one of them for me, is someone who realizes that we are the creators of our world and believes that we design anything and do anything that we desire and dream. That's super, super important. And I think it's a fundamental operating system that anyone can try on. It's 
simply a lens and a belief, but really powerfully changes how the world shows up for you. The next one would be, these are no longer in particular order. One that I found tricky to find specifically someone Jewish, maybe it's a Gemini thing, but I have a wide range of life experiences and things that I enjoy from being outside and camping and music festivals and traveling to faraway places, India, where you're like roughing it a little bit or Burning Man to the next day or next week, I might have to fly back to New York, get suited up and go give a talk or a pitch or, you know, go to some gala dinner or whatever. And I'm pretty solidly comfortable and enjoy both of those types of spheres of experience. So I don't know the real trait for this, but I guess someone who is just really comfortable, maybe it's with themselves or in all sorts of different types of experiences. And it's more than just open-minded, which is obviously an important one and non-judgmental, which is an important one. But I found in the past, most often people who are deeply in one camp or the other, but rarely hang out in both or in multiple. So maybe like easygoing and go with the flow kind of. For sure, for sure. Also two important ones. My mantra and most frequently used word is Shefa, which is the Hebrew word for abundance. We don't need to go into it today, but there's this concept of fear and scarcity versus possibility and abundance. And again, it's kind of simply a mindset. How are they out to get me? Am I going to do okay? Will they like me? Will I fail? Is all scarcity mindset. We got this. The world's got my back. This is going to work. Let's go. Like Yala is abundance mindset. Someone who ideally hangs out more in possibility and abundance than fear and scarcity. Oh, I have one more. I mean, I'm sure I could keep going, but let's just keep it short. I like all of these. Objective reality versus subjective reality, meaning the ability to try on someone else's truth. I fundamentally believe that let's say we're in an argument, you and I, your truth in this argument is fully, literally 100% true to you as my truth is fully 100% true to me. I think one of my superpowers or something that I feel deeply connected to is the ability to empathize someone else's energy. So for me, it's relatively automatic to put myself into your mind and the experience and kind of even understand how you're feeling what you're feeling. That's what I call subjective reality. And I've met some people who deeply hang out in the camp of objective truth, which is like, nope, this is the truth. This is why aren't able to try on another's idea or perspective on the matter. And that's almost should be up there on the top, like right after empowered authorship. I'm writing all these down. These are all the traits I didn't know that I needed, but I want. These are good. So you say that one day, you know, you're in music festivals, the next day you're in a meeting. Every day I'm sure is different for you. Is there a normal day kind of routine you have? And how much of your time is spent doing J-Swipe? There is not really an exactly normal day, but there are, you know, similarities. Usually if I'm in town, I wake up, I go to the office, the office is in Dumbo. I either dive deep into a particular deliverable or subject, or I go between different meetings and different conversations, moving different pieces of different projects forward. So either that type of day or... Or I'm traveling and I'm either going to give a talk at some Jewish community somewhere or doing some type of event with JSWIP experience somewhere. And I do a fair amount of both, maybe half half. Then I hang out with friends. Lately, every weekend that I'm home, I've been throwing a little Shabbat dinner with friends, which I love. It's my favorite to do. And I'm sure you get this question a lot. It's so cliche, but where do you see yourself five years from now? Like, what are you aiming and working towards? I know you said you have a lot of stuff in the works with JSWIPE, but maybe just David in general. What do you want to be doing or seeing yourself be doing in five years? So I'll say, a couple of things. The first is I am not a planner. I'm distinctly the opposite of the 10-year plan, 20-year plan, five-year plan, three-year plan, two-year plan, one, like not at all me. My method, you know, always has just been getting a million feet deep in whatever I'm in right now and giving myself fully to that, trusting in myself and the world that that will propel me upwards and forwards and the next step will surface as and when it's meant to. So far, that's been how I've rolled. If I were to say five, 10 years from now, I would just say, 
say my goal would be happy, big love, family, and hopefully have already done some extensive van life, living in some like vibey van and traveling aimlessly, endlessly, anywhere and everywhere that feels right for as long as it feels right. And deeply passionate about whatever it is I'm spending my time on. That's where I hope to see myself. And I like to play this game with my guests. Behind the Rainbow is about sharing your authentic journeys and struggles. So I always ask my guests, what's a struggle that you've gone through in the past week? That's something in your personal life that you haven't really shared in the public or maybe with your friends or on social media. And how have you dealt with it or how are you dealing with it? Hmm, interesting. Let's see. So let's think of one that really, really, really hits. There's a couple that come to mind. One of them is basically the idea of unknowns. Again, as I'm not much of an extendedly long planner, I'm generally pretty comfortable in unknown. But recently, there have been some openings or some shifts in life where things that were for a very long time knowns became more questions and unknown. For a while, I was not feeling it. I was kind of frustrated and off based on the fact that this was happening and started questioning and wondering, Basically, I felt powerless to these unknowns that were really externally driven. It didn't have to do with my knowing something or not knowing something. It was about other decisions that would then impact certain projects or certain things. The way that I dealt with it was basically deciding that, fuck it, rather than waiting around for external sources or forces to determine or verify, let's just design whatever it is that we want and live into that. It's a practice. It's not just like a snap and it's there, but realizing that waiting on others or to determine a certain an outcome is disempowering so long as I let it be, but also in that pocket of unknown, use it as a time to do a self-assessment and inquiry into, okay, well, what actually do I want to be doing on this or that type of part of my life? What would make me the happiest and most joyful? What would be the most inspiring and interesting? And then leaning into that, I would say, would be how I handled it. Love it. And final question, you have so many good takeaways from this episode, but what's a final message or takeaway you would want people to get with you? Shefa, that's it. I mean, there's one thing that you could add to your life or try on it's Shefa and it's so funny because last night I was at this event called Soho Supper Club and there's this round table question that everyone shares and this girl that was sitting across from me was A worrying about the question as soon as it was asked even though there was like 30 minutes until it got to her and then nervous before and then living into it and even as part of her share explained that she's always so nervous and always planning and always worrying and I think the idea of worry it's easy we are conditioned to fear and process through fear and scarcity and it's simply a muscle. It's a lens that we live through and it's a muscle that you build. And so the more you work on processing through and experiencing and living through the lens of possibility, abundance, and love, the more the world will show up for you that way. And then it's a pretty magical experience when it does. So I think if there's a one message for someone to take away, it would be shefa, 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 which is abundant. I love it. Thank you so much, David, for doing this. So I have a ritual that my guests end my outro, which is until next time. And then I do a cute little song at the end. So do you mind saying until next time? Until next time. 